Now, labels go back. They don't just go back to the 60s with the hippies, okay? They go back all the way back to the time of Jesus. In the New Testament, there were, there were, there were many, many factions in the New Testament, okay? When Jesus was alive, there were five major factions of Jewish life, okay? So I want to share those with you. The first one is the Sadducees. Now, they were like, uh, most of them were like the priests, and they were the elitist priests, all right? I would never make that, okay? Because this is the way, I mean, this is dressed up for me, okay? I would never be a Sadducee because I just don't measure up. They, they, they were really elitists, okay? And, and a lot of them were in the Sanhedrin court. You'd find, uh, in the Sanhedrin, you'd find a lot of the Sadducees. And so they were known as people of candor. They had candor or, or uh, honesty and truth. And when I say honesty, it doesn't mean that they never told a lie. It means they were like I was talking about the mean girls over here that, you know, if it's the truth, you know, well, then you just say it, you know? Can, can I tell you, let me just throw this in right here, okay? Can I tell you something? You don't always tell the truth. Now, uh, don't anybody misquote me here, okay? Never tell a lie, but you don't always tell the truth. Are you, you getting this yet? Let me make it really, really plain for you. Don't ever tell a lie, but sometimes just keep your mouth shut even when you know some truth, okay? Because it's better sometimes. You keep yourself out of a whole lot of trouble. And these people, they get themselves in a lot of trouble because they speak stuff that it might be true, but it's just not the time to say it, okay? And, and they do that. Second, the second faction is the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they were, they, they were also, a lot of them were on the, uh, on the Sanhedrin. And some of them were actually, some of them were closet followers of Jesus. I, 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 we, we know that they did, they did come out a little more toward the end of his ministry. But they were followers of Jesus. But they weren't the, the elite. Now, they weren't like common people. I mean, they were more well-to-do, but they were not the, the Sadducees. Now, the biggest difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees is, is that the, the, the Pharisees, they had these oral traditions that, that God had given them the law in the Old Testament to live by, and they, they added a whole lot of stuff, traditions. They added a whole lot of stuff, traditions. You get in that? Okay, so, so this is who they were. They, were. they were people who were erudite or knowledgeable or intellectual. The third faction that was here when Jesus was alive were the Essenes. Now, these were more like the loners, okay? They were, they were, the, they were the people who were loners. They were, they were more like the common people, even though some could be priests, they were common people. They were the ones who would start monasteries more likely than anyone else. Didn't mean that everybody that was an Essene ended up like a monk or in a monastery or that everybody in monasteries were Essenes, but it meant... This is who they were. They were more loners like this. And so they were known uh, for their abnegation or their simplistic, selfless lifestyle. And then there were the zealots. Now, the zealots were the rebels. They were the underground ones who were trying to overthrow the Roman government, not just by prayer. They were drawing the swords. They were trying to overthrow the Roman government. So they were dauntless. They were courageous. They were, they were brave. And then the last one, uh, the five factions, were the Hellenists. Now, the Romans were in, in power when Christ was here, but before the Romans, the Romans overthrew the Greek Empire. The Greek Empire, you know, by Alexander the Great. You've probably heard of him, you know, when back, if some of you remember way back to school, right? Alexander the Great, you probably remember him. Now, now, one of the things he was able to accomplish when he was overthrowing a land is he would be able to take his culture and just fill that land with his culture. He did this in Judea as well, in Israel. He was able to, and a, and a lot of Jews, they kind of backed away from, from the law and, and living the way God called them to, and they got more and more comfortable with the Hellenistic or the Greek culture. And so that's who these people were. They, were. they were people who really were seeking after amity or peace with the people who lived around them. 
Now see, here's the thing with these labels. Look, look, look what's happening. It divides everybody up. Imagine if there were only five groups or factions or, or cliques or, or labels that you could give people. I mean, it'd be really easy to say, okay, you go over here and everybody's got to be exactly the same. But what, what happens with it then is, is people don't really become stronger. They become weaker because they focus on the thing that sets them apart from, ever, ever, from the other groups. Like the Pharisees, because they believed in the oral traditions and the Sadducees, they argued with them, said, no, 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 it's, it's just the written word. You can't add all these traditions. Well, the Pharisees, they, they put more and more emphasis on the traditions because they had to separate themselves. I mean, I see that going on here in our culture today, in church. Because look at churches. What do churches do? The churches don't, they don't focus on the things that they have in common. They focus on the one thing that distinguishes them from the church down the street. And that becomes the thing that they are. And, and it becomes, instead of a strength, instead of a, a truth, it becomes a hindrance. It becomes a, something to hold them back. Uh, or, or just like, just like the, the Hellenists, how that they became so comfortable with their culture. I mean, that's who they were. They were the Hellenists. And so they just became more and more comfortable with their culture. Let the Pharisees, let the Sadducees do all the teaching and let them instruct everybody. We're just going to stay over here and be comfortable with that culture. And so these things became, became uh, hindrances. They became weaknesses instead of strengths. If it's really bad, if it's bad for this to happen, then why is it that it continues to happen? In Galatians, let me share this with you. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul is writing to, to, to the church in Galatia, and he says, so Christ has truly set us free. You see a period right there? Tri Christ has truly set us free, period. But he goes on. But there's a period there. We are truly set free. As a Christian, if you are following after, you are set free, like we just sang about, period. Now, Make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Now, there are a lot of things that can enslave you, like sin, temptations, various things. But here, Paul is talking about religious traditions. He says, you've been set free, so don't get caught back up and begin to be in slavery again to religious traditions. Okay, so, so there's all kinds of things that can, can enslave you, but one of those is also even labeling yourself as a particular kind of a Christian. Because then you're going to focus on that one little thing and that one little thing is not become a strength, it's actually gonna become, become your hindrance. Here, here's what you've gotta see about this with me here, is that at the cross, at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, there are no factions. There are no Pharisees, there are no Sadducees, there are no Baptists, there are no Methodists, there are no Pentecostals, there are no Independents. There are no factions at the foot of the cross of Calvary. Everyone it, it, it stands there all by themselves. It's just me and Jesus when I stand at the cross and say, I need your forgiveness. It's just me and him. There are no factions. Then where do we, why do we keep raising these things back up if they're unhealthy, if they're dangerous, if there are no factions at the cross, then why do we keep raising them? Well, it's really not us do it. There's a spirit that is doing this. Let me go to Revelation chapter 12. And Revelations, a lot of Revelations is telling us about things that are to come, okay? And this is going to happen in the future. It has come at last. This is prophecy being spoken, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. It is coming, thank God, it is coming for the accuser of our brothers and sisters, the, the devil, Satan himself. The accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Satan here is called the accuser of the brethren. And that Greek word there 
in, uh, in Re- uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, that Greek word for accuser, and I'm not a Greek scholar, so I don't know how to pronounce this word, but something like kategoron or something like that. Is there another English word that looks really, really similar to that one or sounds really, really similar to that one? Yeah, category. Yeah, category. And as a matter of fact, if you'll go back and, and, and you'll review the etymology of the, word, uh, of the word category, you will see that it doesn't just go back to categoron. It goes back to saying it comes back to the Greek word for accuser, which is categoron. It, that's where it gets its word. Here's, here's what I'm saying to you, is that Satan, he is the, the ultimate, he is the eternal categorizer. He is the label maker. He is the one that wants to put labels on every single one of us. Now, he doesn't want you to be a Pharisee or you to be a Sadducee or, you know, or an Essene or Zealot or Hellenist. He's not so interested in you becoming that. He'd love to put some other label on you. Maybe, maybe a particular denomination or a particular type of, of a Christian or whatever. Yeah, he'd like to do that. But let me tell you another label, a label that, the types of label he'd like to put on you even more than that. He likes to get, put the label of loser. Failure. I mean, think about it. It And we do it. We fall in this trap of doing this and labeling people. Because we meet somebody and we, you know, we start maybe telling someone, say, I met so-and-so. Yeah, I know them. And and say, well, they aren't married yet. And so then we start trying to label them, right? Are they divorced? Are they widowed? You know, and if they're divorced, oh, then, you know, then all of a sudden there's a whole lot of other labels we can say. Well, were they divorced for this, 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 and this? Now, I guess if you're a gossip, you really get into these kinds of things, but there are gossips out there, and that's exactly what they do is they start adding all these labels, and if they weren't divorced, they're widowed, then, then they're lonely, then they're sad. Oh, poor pitiful them. They have to mourn the rest of their life because they've got the, we, we put the label on them, and that's the way we look at them because they've lost someone in their life. Or it goes on further than that. Addict. Oh, he loves that label because if you're an addict, you never get away from that. He loves those labels of failure. Or bankruptcy. If you're, a bank, you know, you're bankrupt, nobody can trust you anymore. That's why everybody tries to keep it quiet, right? Because nobody will ever trust me ever, ever, ever again. Just like that gossip. Nobody can ever confide. I can be no one's confidant. Nobody can confide in me. Satan loves to put those kinds of labels on us. Look with me, if you will, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Satan wants you to conform to a label. He wants to put a label on you. He, he wants to, and some of you have got that label. Felon, addict, abused or abuser, molested, and you've got that label. And you can't ever get rid of the label. And it becomes a prison. And some people, they get this label. And it's almost like, you know, after a while, you might not want the label, but after a while, it becomes your comfortable place. Because especially things like failure and loser, nobody expects you to accomplish very much. And it becomes a comfortable place. Or you, you have some personality disorder that they label you with. And now that becomes, you don't have to try as hard as everyone else tries. You don't have to do sunrise worship services like we had just service of worship to God and get up earlier. You don't have to be a part of a ministry team or you don't have to invite somebody to, or you don't have to be involved. You don't have to because you've got a label. That's what Satan wants to do. 
is he wants us to conform to a place, a place of bondage, a place of not enough, a place where you cannot excel. He wants that. But you see what that scripture said? Don't be conformed, but be transformed. If you didn't see the movie, and I didn't share this in the first service, I just ran out of time. And, but if you didn't see the movie, this is what Tris does in the movie. She refuses to conform to what her family tells her, what society tells her she has to be. And when she refuses to conform, then she begins to transform. And not just into one thing, because, because what we find out about Tris is she is not that one thing either. Because the transformation that begins takes her to another place and then to a place where very few people ever go because very few people are ever, to, ever, ever able to break out of the faction or the labels or the, the, the clicks or the things that we put on them. But she did because she began to believe in the transformation. She was transformed. And that's what God wants for you. That's what Jesus wants for you. Can I show it to you in the book of Luke? This is when Jesus first started his, his ministry. Uh, he, he, uh, after about 28, 29, maybe 30, 31 years old, we don't know exactly, somewhere around the age of 30 though, Jesus goes to John the Baptist and, and he is baptized. He leaves John the Baptist from the baptism and he goes into the wilderness to pray and to fast and to seek, seek God and to, and, and to ask God for strength and, and to talk to his father again. And, and there Satan tempts him while he's there in the wilderness. When he comes back from the wilderness, he goes in, it looks like he goes directly to, to the synagogue, but he goes to the synagogue and he, and he opens, he takes the scroll and he gets up to read. And he reads from the book of Isaiah. And he reads this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord. He said, and then, he, then he's, as he sat down, he said, and to this day, these words are being fulfilled. He was saying, I am the one who has come to do all these things. And in there, he says, I have come to set at liberty those who have been bound and those who have been oppressed and those who have been labeled and or who are in a prison and you can't seem to break. He said, I've come to set you at liberty. Satan wants to conform you to somebody else's ideal and the culture's ideal, but Jesus Christ wants to turn you loose so you can be transformed into the awesome dream that he wants your life to have. That's what Jesus Christ came for. You know why? Because he knows something. Jesus knows something, and Satan knows it too. They both know that that which makes you different makes you dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. You see, as long as we're all just in a group, you know, one, two, three, or four, or five groups, and, and we're all the same, you know, it's, it's like, I don't know if some of you play video games, you know, it's like you got to kill these soldiers or something, and you see all these soldiers, and they all look alike, and you know, well, that, one's, that one can be killed with this, and that one can be killed with, you know, you've got to, and, and you know how to do this, and that's what Satan wants. He wants to keep us categorized so he can, he can control us, you know. Well, you're, you're never going to go out and do anything great for God because, but can I tell you, Jesus Christ wants to turn you loose. Something we say around here all the time at 2911, because we believe this, is that everyone has something awesome to do for Jesus Christ. You were not designed to have a label on you that tells you you cannot. Jesus Christ came to rip the labels off, whatever the labels are, to rip them off so that you will know you were created to do something awesome and in his name, you will be able to do it. That's, that's, that's what he chose for you to do. He chose for you to be divergent. 
Because that's why he was divergent. Do you know he was divergent? And, you know, and actually, the way God created the earth and the way he set everything in motion and the way he intended our, our marriages and our, and our lives to be and the way our relationship was supposed to be to him, the world became divergent to that. And then we all just kind of slipped into that. And so now Jesus said, okay, it's enough for that. We got to get back to the way. And getting back to the way is divergent from the way the world is. He turned, when Jesus came, he was so divergent. He turned everything upside down. Look, look, look at these few verses of scripture right here. Uh, Matthew 20, 16, the last will be first, the first will be last. Luke 9, 48, for it is the one who is the least among you who is the greatest. Last is first, first is last. Least is greatest, wait a minute. That's upside down, isn't it? And then look at this one, Luke 6, 27, 28. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, that's divergent. Do good to those who hate you, that's divergent. Bless those who curse you, that's divergent. Pray for those who mistreat you, that's divergent. Jesus Christ, he's the original divergent. And it wasn't enough for him to just say, bless him and pray for him. It wasn't just enough for him to say that. He actually did it. He showed us. He showed us on that Thursday night and on that Friday that we call Good Friday, we remember. He showed us that he does it too. He doesn't just preach it, but he walks what he preaches. Let me show you this. Let me just show you. Even at the age of 12, Jesus, his, his, his earthly parents couldn't find him. Mary and Joseph couldn't find him. And they finally find him in the temple. And he said, he was kind of amazed. He said, didn't you think I would be here about the, what, what's most important? Taking care of my father's business? At 12 years of age, he was taking care of things that matter. At 12 years of age. And, and, and that's so divergent for our culture today because, because we keep pushing childhood farther and farther. And it's like we keep postponing adulthood. We keep postponing taking responsibilities for our, for our actions. And our, Listen, I'm not telling anybody you need to get married at 16 or 18. That's not what I'm saying, okay? I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we need to grow up and we need to be responsible. And here, here's what you need. Guys, you need to understand this. You need to understand this. Is that people in this world are hurting because people have been, have, people have been, They've been misused, they've been abused, they've been maligned, they've been molested. And, and, and there are 12-year-olds in this world that are dealing with more issues than I will ever deal with in my life because of stuff that is happening. And here's what you need to understand. If you're a teenager or even a little bit younger than you, you need to understand this. I believe Jesus did this at such a young age for you to know that it's, it's not one day that you're gonna have things that matter in your life and you can have freedom and you can have liberty. It's even today that you can be about the stuff that really matters in your life. And you don't have to be beat down for the rest of your life. You don't have to wear the label that somebody has put on you. Even at that early age, Jesus was showing us he was divergent then and you can be divergent now. Just uh, the, the, the second one was clearing the temple. Remember when he cleared the temple out? You might not remember the story, but if you remember the story, here's what, I don't have time to tell you the story, but here's what we learned about. He was... He was a crusade. He was on a crusade. He had a mission. And he showed us that we're, we all have missions. You have a mission. You have something amazing, awesome to do for Jesus. And whether you're 12 or 92, every one of you need to hear me. If you're in, it doesn't matter what age you are, you still have something awesome to do for Jesus. Uh, the, the, what's the third one? When the Pharisees, when the Pharisees caught the lady uh, committing adultery. And they brought, him to Je brought her to Jesus. They wanted to stone her. And they had the right to. They had the right to because the law told them, yeah, you're gonna have to kill those people that commit this kind of... And when they brought her to Jesus, Jesus forgave her. Watch this. 
They grabbed this woman. She had to be set up. How do you catch someone in the middle of an act of adultery? And where's the man at? Takes two to commit adultery. Watch this. They catch this woman. They drag her through the streets. They're on their way to Jesus. There was, they didn't have to take her to Jesus to stone her. They were using this to tempt Jesus. They were trying to trick him into saying something that they could use against him. They were dragging this woman through the streets. And they didn't print a label out and put it across her chest maybe, but they might as well have because as they're dragging her through the streets, they're pointing, say, they're pointing and saying, this is an adulteress. Caught in the act of adultery, she's going to be stoned. Now, women, you can't trust your husbands around this lady. She's an adulteress. She was found with somebody else's husband. And, and, and they labeled her all the way through the streets. Imagine. Imagine, I mean, by the time she got to Jesus, she probably wanted to be stoned. Put me out of my misery. I just want to die here. I can't live with this label. And so they, th they throw her at the feet of Jesus and said, now Moses' law said that we've got to stone her. What do you say? And Jesus, he, he looked at them and he said, he who is without sin among you, let him cast. He who does not have a label on them, he who has never had a label on him, let him be the one to cast the first stone. And they all dropped the rocks and they all walked away. And then you know what Jesus said? You know what he said? To that woman, he started ripping the labels off. He started all those labels that Satan and mankind, he started ripping them off and he said, no, neither do I condemn you. And then he says, go and sin no more. And that's what Jesus wants to do for you today. He wants to rip off every label, every label that has ever been placed on you, everything that everybody's even called you, the things that are binding you today, telling you you can never have an awesome life, telling you you can never have freedom and joy, telling you that you can never be right with God, Jesus wants to rip all that off of you today, and he wants to give you freedom. I, I got to hurry. Um, this story right here, two stories real quick. Uh, oh, I just, I, I got to tell you this. Jesus was walking into the city of, of Nain one day, and there was a funeral procession coming down the street, and this woman, he, she already had the label of widow across her. She was a widow. And as they were coming down, now she's got another label because her son, her only son is dead. He's in the casket. And she's got that label now, lonely. You know, she's gonna probably be poor now the rest of her. She doesn't have anybody to take care of her. And Jesus walks over and he touches the casket. That was against tradition. They were not supposed to touch dead stuff or stuff that had touched dead stuff. Or when Jesus went to the, uh, to the home of Lazarus and Lazarus had died and he had been in the grave for four days. And Jesus said, roll the stone aside. When he said that, and they had to go over and touch that stone, touch that tomb, and do that all over again, they were going to have to go through ceremonial washings, the Word of God says in the Old Testament. And so when he told them that, he was destroying. He wasn't just challenging. I mean, he wasn't just challenging by touching that cast. He was destroying their traditions. But do you know why he did that? He destroyed their traditions so that he could destroy their pain. Because when he touched the casket... All of a sudden, that lonely label that was on that lady, it just fell to the ground. When he, when he said, roll the stone aside, and he called Lazarus back to life, just like he called that little boy in that casket back to life, all of a sudden now, their pain was gone away. The, the, the mourner label was gone away. And, and just in the same for you. The traditions that you have, and like you're under traditions by those labels and those things that are binding you and, and, and imprisoning you. Those things, and he wants to turn you loose from that. Some of you have the label of unforgiveness on you. And you just can't forgive somebody that's hurt you so bad. And Jesus wants to rip that off of you today. 
and set you free. He ate with sinners. Um, I'll tell you this real quick. Don't have time to talk about the sinners, but I tell you, let me tell you about his crew. You remember his crew? A bunch of fishermen, two tax collectors. Oh, we hate tax collectors, don't we? I'm not talking about everybody that works for internal revenue. I'm talking about the tax collectors. Those are just those, because we got a really good one here that's actually an advocate. You know, but anyway. Hate, they, they were hated. They were despised because most of them were Jews who were serving the Romans and collecting taxes and overcharging taxes. Fishermen, the hated tax collectors. Uh, there was a, a physician, Luke, followed them around. He wasn't one of the 12, but he was following them around as well. A bunch of women. And one of the Pharisees became the Apostle Paul who wrote half of the New Testament as God moved upon him. That's his crowd. And if he accepts them, he accepts you too. Fishermen, take off your label. Hated for whatever job it is you have to do in society, take off your label. Pharisee, whatever it is, take, because you're accepted. And then he forgave. He prayed for them. He forgave and he died for his enemies. Who does that? Who does that? Nobody. Jesus only because he's divergent. You need a little more convincing, just a little more evidence real, real quick right here. He was divergent because he was God that was born in a stable. Do you get that? Do, do you understand the irony in all of that? Is that he was God who was born in a stable, laid in a manger covered with donkey spit. You know, this is who he was. He was so divergent. He was betrayed and he was denied by even the people that followed after him, yet he did it without condemning them. He went through that without condemning them. He, uh, he was without sin. He lived his life without any sin so he could die for our sin. That's what made his sacrifice strong enough to, to pay for my sin is because he had none. He was rejected by those he came to reach. and He was accepted by the rejects. You know, the ones that have reject on their label. You know why? Because they've heard it so much, they, agree, come, they normally come to Jesus first because the rest of us, you know, we think we got it all together and we just have to keep trudging along until we figure out we ain't got it together. And then we finally say, I'm tired of these labels and I'm ready to do something amazing with my life. He was hated by those he loved. Look at the irony. He was arrested by those he came to set free. He wanted to set these Roman soldiers free and they arrested him. He wanted to turn them loose. He wanted to set at liberty the captives and they put the chains on him. He was arrested by those he came to set free. Lies were told against his truth. He was beaten and bruised so that you and I could be healed. We could have health in our bodies. He was condemned by the guilt. The guilty were sitting, they were sitting in the jury box and he was condemned by the guilty and he was crucified by those that he forgave when he hung there on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He was put to death by those he gave life. He became a bloody mess. He became a bloody mess for us so that we could be cleansed for him. And he was buried by his very own creation. He took us from the dust of the earth and created us and then we buried him back in that same earth. He was divergent. 
so that you could be divergent. So you don't have to live according to the labels anymore. So you don't have to be imprisoned. So you don't have to settle for second best. So you don't have to listen to the devil or, or, or that uncle that tells you you'll never mount to anything in the world. He, he became divergent. So you could be divergent and you could be what God really wanted you to be. That's what Jesus died for. That's what he died for. Would you do me a favor? I'd like you to stand and come to the front. If you're a first-time attender, we just like to close around front with a final prayer and a final song, and we'd love to have you join us. Come on, people. If you're a first-time attender, we'd love to have you. If you're comfortable, come join us for this final prayer and final song. That's all we'll do right here. I got one last little thing and we'll pray and sing a last song. I'll press on in just a little bit. One of these Sundays, I guess I'm gonna have to just get down here and break, break down or something because uh, y'all always give me some room here to do something. I don't know what it is y'all expecting right here, but <laughs> I gotta tell you one more thing. Jesus was the original divergent. If I got to tell you one more place, he was divergent. He was divergent in death because he didn't stay dead. Nobody gets out of the grave except your divergent Jesus. And because now this, this is not the typical Easter story sermon. We did most of the Easter story last week, and if you, you missed last week, go to the podcast and hear that and hear, hear these details of the Easter story, the, the traditional. But a lot of that normally is about the week leading up to Easter. This past Friday was the day we remember. It's, it was Good Friday. It was when Jesus was crucified on that Friday. And he laid in, laid in the grave for two days and, until Sunday, which is the third day, and he was resurrected on Easter Sunday morning. That's what we celebrate today. So here, here's... Here's the message for you in that. As a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, your past ended at the cross on Good Friday. And your future starts today with an empty tomb and a risen Savior. And if you're, if you're a follower of Christ already, that's the celebration today. My life, this is the day my life began. Long time before I was born, but this is the day when he got out of the grave. But if you're not a Christian, if you, you've never followed Jesus, like I said in the first service, he's waiting on you. He didn't die for you so that then you'd have to do a whole lot of other stuff to come to him. He's just waiting. And if you're ready, he's ready to rip off the labels today. He's ready to turn you loose set you free, allow you to have the dream that he wants you to have, dream, have, that he's dreamed for you when he was forming you in your mother's womb. For you to not just have life one day, but for you to have life today. For you to experience his joy, for you to experience his peace, for you to experience what true love really is. He wants to do I want to pray for you. I want you to join me in praying.